Why did the boy have to be so infernally smart with his hands and his tongue? Look here, Johnny, I'm not getting up because you tell me to. I'm getting up because Mrs. Lapham tells me to. All right, said Johnny blandly, just so you're up. There was only one window in the attic. Johnny always stood before it as he dressed. He liked this view down the length of Hancock's Wharf. Counting houses, shops, stores, sail lofts on one great ship after another, home again after their voyaging, content as cows waiting to be milked. He watched the gulls, so fierce and beautiful, fighting and screaming among the ships. Beyond the wharf was the sea and the rocky islands where gulls nested. He knew to the fraction of a moment how long it would take the two other boys to get into their clothes. Swinging about, he leaped for the head of the ladder, hardly looking where he went. One of Dove's big feet got there first. Johnny stumbled, caught himself, and swung silently about at Dove. Gosh, Johnny, I'm sorry, sniggered Dove. Sorry, eh? You're going to be a lot sorrier. I just didn't notice. You do that again, and I'll beat you up again. You overgrown pig of a louse, you... He went on from there. Mr. Lapham was strict about his boys swearing, but Johnny could get along very well without... Whatever pig of a louse was, it did describe the whitish, flaccid, parasitic dove. Little Dusty froze as the older boys quarreled. He knew Johnny could beat up Dove any time he chose. He worshipped Johnny and did not like Dove, but he and Dove were bound together by their common servitude to Johnny's autocratic rule. Half of Dusty sympathized with one boy, half of him with the other in this quarrel. It seemed to him that everybody liked Johnny— Old Mr. Lapham because he was so clever at his work, Mrs. Lapham because he was reliable, the four Lapham girls because he sassed them so, and then grinned. Most of the boys in the other shops around Hancock's wharf liked Johnny, although some of them fought him on sight. Only Dove hated him. Sometimes he would get dusty in a corner, tell him in a hoarse whisper how he was going to get a pair of scissors and cut out Johnny Tremaine's heart, but he never dared do more than trip him, and then whine out of it. Some day, said Johnny, his good nature restored, I'll kill you, Dove. In the meantime, you have your uses. You get out the buckets and run to North Square and fetch back drinking water. The Laphams were on the edge of the sea. Their well was brackish. Look here, Mrs. Lapham said Dusty was to go and... Get along with you, don't you go arguing with me. Fetching water, sweeping, helping in the kitchen, tending the annealing furnace in the shop were the unskilled work the boys did. Already Johnny was so useful at his bench he could never be spared for such labor. It was over a year since he had carried charcoal or a bucket of water, touched a broom, or helped Mrs. Lapham brew ale. His ability made him semi-sacred. He knew his power and reveled in it. He could easily have made friends with stupid Dove— for Dove was lonely and admired Johnny as well as envied him. Johnny preferred to bully him. Johnny, followed by his subdued slaves, slipped down the ladder with an easy flop. To his left was Mr. Lapham's bedroom. The door was closed. Old Master did not go to work these days until after breakfast. Starting the boys off, getting things going, he left to his bustling daughter-in-law. Johnny knew the old man, whom he liked— was already up and dressed. He took this time every day to read the Bible. 
To his right, the only other bedroom was open. It was here Mrs. Lapham slept with her four poor fatherless girls, as she called them. The two biggest and most capable were already in the kitchen helping their mother. Scylla was sitting on the edge of one of the unmade beds brushing Izana's hair. It was wonderful hair, seemingly spun out of gold. It was the most wonderful thing in the whole house. Gently Scylla brushed and brushed, her little oddly shaped face turned away, pretending she did not know that Johnny was there. He knew neither Scylla nor Izana would politely wish him the conventional good morning. He was lingering for his morning insult. Scylla never lifted her eyes as she put down her brush and very deliberately picked up a hair ribbon. The Laphams couldn't afford such luxuries, but somehow Scylla always managed to keep her little sister in hair ribbons. Very carefully, she began to tie the child's halo of pale curls. She spoke to Izana in so low a voice.